Welcome to This Human Life with The Philosophical Coach. I'm thrilled to have you tuning in. I'm your host, Sam Kukathis, aka The Philosophical Coach, philosopher, Hume expert, and high-performance coach. This podcast is designed for you to go from being the passenger in your life to the owner of your life. It is designed for you to go beyond who you know yourself to be, really. If that intrigues or excites you, then you are definitely in the right place. The ideas are drawn from neuroscience, philosophy, my coaching practice, working with elite leaders, and experience. You can expect candor, humor, vulnerability, and ideas which are unfamiliar to you, and some you may just plain disagree with. You'll also get the opportunity to hear from inspiring coaches and leaders. Now let's get ready to question what we know and go beyond our limitations. So welcome back to This Human Life. I'm really thrilled to have my next guest is Mike Montague. And Mike is super down-to-earth guy. And I just got the opportunity to connect with him today. And we just gelled straight away. So why have I got Mike on? Well, Mike is someone who really brings play to what it looks like any area of life. He has a podcast called Playful Humans. He was recently interviewing Art Bell, who is the founder of Comedy Central. And beyond that, he... He brings play to corporate events. He's has history as a game show host. And this is going to be an incredible conversation. So Mike, thank you so much for agreeing to, to come on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about the philosophy side of Playful Humans, because I think sometimes we can see play as frivolous. And I don't think it is. I think it's a, a lot deeper than that and a lot more interesting than just uh, wasting time or some sort of recreation that a lot of people think it is. 100%. And I've seen that for myself. But the question I guess we want to kick it off with is, is really looking at like, if you were taking a philosophical approach to play, what would that look like? So I would just kind of start by telling you my, my journey. I, I think I was in that Tim Ferriss mindset of, of like optimizing everything and, and self-help and like, how do I be the most productive and, and, you know, powerful version of myself and make an impact. And then I started to have inklings that that wasn't going to be enough, uh, that it's really not fun to do that all of the time. And that you need to kind of take breaks or step back to the more I looked at things like the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule and stuff, it's okay, well, that makes more sense to me. There probably is, you know, 20% of things that, that make sense. And if that makes sense, then I kind of started getting into the minimalism philosophy. And it's like, oh, well, if you want less and need less, it's a lot easier to hit those goals and those productivity levels. If, you, if you're not going for like unicorn status of blowing up a, st- a startup that's a billion dollars, right? So then I was like, okay, well, if minimalism makes sense, maybe I need to look into kind of like, you know, the Buddhist philosophies or, uh, you know, these terms better than I do. Who are the guys um, that withheld themselves? Ferris also uh, talks about. To be honest, like that's not really my area of philosophy. I was like an 18th yeah. century guy with David Hume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was known for like, being the kind of guy that you probably wouldn't have a dram of whiskey with rather than the person you could rely on to be walking uh, dog or whatever at the same time every day. So you know, more chilled. And that's, that's, yeah, so, so I don't know the, the that kind of the Eastern uh, side of things gosh, as well. I can't believe I, uh, I'm forgetting the, the name of it right now. But anyway, there's these, um, there's this philosophical movement that it's like, okay, well, if you can survive on like just water and you don't need anything, then you can be happier or whatever. I was like, that's not, that doesn't sound like fun at all uh, yeah. for me. That, that one's not my. And I looked into like the, the Buddhist spiritual of like, oh, maybe I need to get centered. And I, I do love 
mindfulness and meditation and stuff. But I figured that that just gets me back to zero, right? That if I've been stressing myself the heck out, trying to optimize my life in every possible way, if a couple of times a day I get back to, to center and I get back to zero, that's great. That's really helpful. It helps me kind of recenter and, and think about things that are important. But that's not enough either. Getting getting back to zero is not really the goal of where I want to do. I want to follow like joy and passion and play. And I want to like, remember what it feels like to be a kid and be that geeked up about stuff that you're like, man, I can't wait to get out of bed today. And I kind of found that no amount of pushing is going to make that happen. You can't force fun. You can't Mm. plan and strategize and optimize and schedule play in a way that that's interesting. And so I just sort of got to the place where I was like, I need to give all this up. And then I found the play philosophy, um, all kinds of cool people. But uh, I, I've just read a ton of books over the last year around uh, play and enjoyment and enjoy. And, and that really seems to resonate with me. I was somebody who had a really fun, playful childhood. And I remember, you know, like riding our bikes out with my brother and our, our two friends and just spinning from sun up to sundown goofing around and playing and having fun or doing wiffle ball or uh, soccer or um, anything, whatever the sport of the month was trying to learn how to juggle or ride a unicycle or, or something really loving the majority of my life. Right. And yeah. when I uh, ran out of something to do, we came up with something else. Or if we got tired, we rested. And if we were hungry, then we found something to eat and we didn't try to schedule those things, tried to, to live it as much. And that, to me, that philosophy made a lot. Yeah, I, I think for me, like there's an element of spontaneity, which, you know, if you if you tried to plan everything in your calendar, you, you had no uh, blank space, then you get lost in the overwhelm of trying to get it all done, right? right? As if like you're ever going to get it all done, which is just <laughs> right. this illusion that we've sold ourselves. And then you get to feel the guilt and the shame when you don't. Oh, bad person. I didn't get it all done. Right. Like, okay. Like where can you step back and be like, all right, I'm going to create, I'm going to like play it both ways. I need to have space for play and free creativity. And I might even be the kind of person who just has a block in my calendar for like, this is just free expression time, or this is just connect with your partner or whatever it is, but there's still got to be white space, even inside of that, because things happen in life in a moment, which you don't expect. And that's part of the beauty and the magic of it. It's like, oh, I wasn't, you know, planning to do that, but then this happened. And then I got to, you know, experience this as a consequence. Whereas if I was constantly trying to structure everything that I was going to do, then it feels like there's a limitation of what's actually possible. Yeah. I I mean, there's so much to unpack there, but I I love what you said about sometimes the magic happens when it's not planned. uh, And so that causes trouble with the part you did plan. So you reminded me of of a story that happened to me last week, right at the end of a meeting, uh, a lady that I was meeting with told me that her husband had passed away this weekend, the year before. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I have 30 seconds to get to my next meeting. How am I going to authentically and genuinely respond to this moment of her opening up in a way that makes sense in 30 seconds? Like that stinks that, you know, so I just ended up being late for the next meeting, but it's like, that's a powerful moment. What if it's, it's the other way? And it's an intense, uh, joyful experience that I'm having the the best time I've had in years with somebody. And now I have to go, you know, pick up my dry cleaning because it's two o'clock and I have to get to the you know meeting at three or whatever like that. 
that sucks too, <laughs> you know? Like I, I want some room in this place to enjoy the moments that are great or connect with people when I'm actually connecting because that's so rare these days. But the other side I also found is, is really what got me there is that you can't force fun. There are some problems that you can't Google the answer to. There are some things that when you push harder, they are less likely to happen. And creativity and fun or humor are some of those things. If you tell a comedian, quick, be funny, you know, unless they already have a response for that, it's going to make it almost simple. If you tell your employee to, to do some creative writing and give me 500 words by the end of the hour, that's a terrible disaster for getting their best. So there's just some things in life that need space. They need freedom. They need uh, flow and serendipity and, and stuff to happen rather than pushing in hard work. Yeah, I think one thing I see for myself is that there's a there's an aspect of if I don't put something in existence, like which is in my case is in my calendar, it doesn't exist. Memory, I've, I've, I learned working in this consulting environment for almost a year that memory is not causative and yet we treat it like it is. So right. if something is really, you, you actually want to get it done. Like if you don't put it into existence, the chances of it happening are coincidental at best and slim, mm -hmm. you know, at worst. At the same time, I do not keep my calendar with no space in between because I know what kind of life I am committed to leading. And so if I, what I'll always be doing with my own coach is stepping back and looking at like, where can I optimize more play or spontaneity or bring more connection with my partner, particularly if I find that I'm spending too many evenings working till 11 or, you know, maybe making a podcast till two in the morning or whatever it looks like. <laughs> right. um, because I know that what do I value is, is the holistic approach to life. Like it's not just about coaching and the impact you can make on others. It's everyone who is, you know, part of your life. And if you, allow the, the work side of things to, to be the only priority, which I think is really easy to do, especially if you're like chasing an income or you're trying to ensure you can put enough food on the table and all those kinds of legitimate concerns, then it's so easy to park the other stuff, which actually brings the more of the fulfillment often. Yeah. I, I think what you said about hitting the needs is an interesting part for people because, um, if you're not making enough money, if you're having trouble putting food on the table or a roof over your head, then that's a little bit of a different. But lots of scientific research has shown that like once you make around like $45,000 a year, any more money does not make you any more happier, right? But we continue to keep pressing and trying these things just like more would happen. I think Jim Carrey, the comedian, had a great quote that he said, like, I wish everybody could become rich and famous so that they realize that that's not the, end, yeah. you know, and it's like, it doesn't make you any, any happier. And so I think that like, that's a part of it too, right? As we, if we keep going for this more thing, then we don't enjoy the journey as much because we always feel like we could, could have done more or, or worked harder, but also we, there's no destination then. Yeah. there's no off button. So it, it becomes this cycle of stuff that's just not happy and, and fulfilling and, and fun. And at least to burnout happened to me a couple of times in, in my career. And that's what I'm helping people now is how do you come up with a, a life plan or a goal or a philosophy that is sustainable and that mm. you're going to enjoy the ride every, you know, most days, if not all of them. And then the, the destination is uh, something that you're going towards, but it's not 
a checkbox that we're ever going to get to and realizing that is yeah i think there's there's so many illusions and paradoxes of experiencing being a human being <laughs> and so it's <laughs> right. so easy to kind of get into the to-do list and mentality of a checkbox or any of that kind of stuff which makes you you feel like you're moving towards your goals or but you get caught up in the minutiae so much of the time because you're constantly looking to you know fit more into your day or you know you feel like you should be doing more um to get there if you have that kind of mentality if i need to get somewhere out there like wherever there is you know? like and retirement is the word we use for this have you ever looked into retirement before sam i've never even contemplated the idea of retirement uh, well, that's great. Uh, that's actually the best way to, to live, I think. But I, I was reading a book that was talking about retirement. It was invented in the 1890s by the Germans. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, Germans not really known for their social policies, especially around the uh, 1900s uh, there, but they uh, invented it as forced retirement for 65 year olds when the life expectancy was 67. So they were like, let's take the last, you know, people that really can't work or they're, they're sick or ill. Let's take them out of the work. Let's get some younger people into jobs and let's have some retirement at C5. But then it, it got monopolized by the capitalist side of things that were like, oh, if we have people that are spending money on retirement, they're, they're not working, like they're become consumers, full-time consumers then, and we can monopolize this. And so they started painting this ideal picture of if you just get to 65 and you retire, then everything is utopia. It's heaven. You get to spend it on beaches and you can travel and drink and do whatever you want and have whatever you want and spend time with your grandkids. But none of that ever actually came true. So few people were ever actually able to do that. And it had a lot of bad side effects that people who need to keep their mind active, stay off, stave off Alzheimer's and dementia and, and yeah. keep their bodies moving and get them, you know, off the couch and get them working and uh, providing all of those things got taken out. And we demotivated people by picking an arbitrary destination that if somehow you follow these instructions and you check all these boxes, at 65, you get to feel successful and retire and, and feel full. And that's the opposite of what happens. When people stop working, they feel less uh, impactful, less fulfilled and less. And yeah, so I think because really our culture of work becomes such an important part of the way people can constitute, like, constitute their identity uh, far too often. So if you don't have a job, it becomes this identity crisis of who am I now or who am I exactly. at all? I remember like, so I, the last four years, I've, I spent a lot of time in like transformative education. And what was so fascinating about this was that you so frequently didn't know what the people who were leaders in this space did. It wasn't relevant. Like it wasn't relevant what they did because all that mattered was the human being that they were or who the human being that they are or the human being that they were becoming. And you were supporting them on that journey. And there was so much play and self-expression inside of this. You know, like I was someone who grew up never being able to really sing, but I like to sing anyway. And I'd make up songs, you know, walking back home Me from too. school, I make up songs and all sorts of, you know, random sort of stuff. And at one point, I can't remember why, but I just decided, all right, I've written this song, which is called like Transformation the Musical or something like this. And so I like, I put it in our, like our WhatsApp group, which is very active. And I shared it. I kind of probably told them some of the context, like people told me never sing in public, especially in front of a woman, like this would not go well for you. <laughs> I had like an aunt who maybe had said something like that as well. Is that meant to be singing? Uh, so I had a kind of a lot of stories around like, this is not something you should do in public. I'll still do it in private, but I won't do it in public. 
And then, you know, people responded so kindly. And it wasn't because the singing was great. Like I'm under no illusions, but it was like the joy of what I was being able to produce was what people kind of saw. And they were like, they responded in turn. And then what happened as a consequence is I became the person who just get up on stage every Friday night and I'd be singing. I'd be singing off in these songs to bring people to these different guest events we had. And I was loving it. Like wow. you couldn't get me off the stage. So it was complete transformation. And it was because I brought this aspect of a childlike play to my life that things started to transform in a way that I, I didn't expect. I love that. And you hit on one of my favorite things to talk about uh, of all time. I hosted karaoke shows for 12 years and I cannot sing either. I've never had any formal lessons. I think even in middle school, when there was like a music class, the teachers were like, clearly you don't get this. Like I was passing with effort, uh, not in, in any type of skill. And I was afraid to do it in high school and stuff and embarrass myself. But then when I found karaoke in bars, I was like, oh, drunk people are worse than I am. Like, I'm not <laughs> going to be the worst singer up there. And I can mimic stuff enough to like sound like other people or at least pretend like I can sing for a couple of, of songs. But then I also found this magical thing about karaoke that I think is also a metaphor for life, that if you do it wholeheartedly, it's way more interesting than a good singer who does it, you know, half-assed, right? And so yeah. when people are timid or they're nervous or they're they're not into it, that is what's boring or it's just awkward for everybody in the off audience or or it sounds terrible because they're not into it. But if you take a bad singer and it was like the William Hung effect on, on American <laughs> Idol, right? Yes. Like if you give it 100%, even if it's bad, it's entertaining forever yeah. and you're going to get applause. And so I kind of like took that, philosophy to life and I was like oh well I just need to do it with feeling right and then yeah. let the rest of it work itself out whether it's good or not as somebody else so I'm curious so when you created that what was the impact on others especially if some of them didn't have this belief that they could sing well I think I found two things here number one is I was a really good karaoke host because most of them can sing and so mm. if I get up there and I'm really good Nobody wants to follow that. Nobody wants to go next. But if I go up there and I do like George Michael's faith and I'm dancing and like, it's terrible and people getting into it, but I'm like, you know, playing the guitar and, and shaking my ass, then people go, okay, that's fun. I can play with that. So I had more people join in. And I think also then it eliminates that judgment zone. So I was able to create an atmosphere where people knew that they could try something. And they could fail and I wouldn't, I'd take care of them. I wouldn't make fun of them. I would build them up. I'd be happy for it, you know? And as long as people weren't being jerks and putting other people down, like I loved it. Be, be part of it. Try something. If it doesn't work, we'll find another song for you, yeah. but you know, go for it. And I think it was just really so much fun over those 12 years. I wish the hours were better because I had a ton of fun doing it and I actually won awards and, and uh, you know, I became a local celebrity yeah. <laughs> from doing that and stuff. And uh, it was so great, but it, uh, the pay is not great in the hours. Or yeah. Like this, there, there can sometimes be a downside to the things which we really love doing. Don't actually provide us with the, uh, the, the capacities to do some of the other things we want to do in life. <laughs> well, and I think you also have to decide, and this is something I've been working on a lot lately too, is what is your profession and what is your hobby and stuff. And sometimes things that are fun or fulfilling as a hobby are not meant to be 
professions. And that can actually suck the fun and the play out of it. Because uh, I've done graphic design and entertainment as a profession too. And it's like, oh, when somebody's paying you for it, it puts too much pressure on it. And it it's no longer freely chosen, which is a big part of play and, and flow is if somebody's forcing you to do it's really hard to get into that play state and have as much fun if you choose. Yeah, I think choosing is a massively important aspect. I don't, and I guess we're talking about choice, not in terms of weighing up the different things, but all the cost benefit analysis. That's making a decision. Like cho- choosing something, like not because there's these options I'm weighing up. I'm choosing this because I'm choosing this. There is no reason or rationale behind it because it's such a powerful place to like, I'm all in, I'm committed to this. And then, you know, whatever, you know, shows up inside of the commitment is, is what you get to have. But it's like the kind of like half-assing it is, is, is a decision. It's like, oh, well, maybe this is the way to go. I'm trying to figure out what the right thing to do is kind of approach to life. And that's when people get stuck in this decisions and they get stuck in the indecision of life. Yeah. And I think that's very human, right? Is that you're, 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 uh, controlled by your emotions and what you want to do, not by the rational side of your brain or your consciousness. I, I've kind of found that like your consciousness is a good justifier of those things. You know, we mentioned eating poorly earlier. If you want a piece of cheesecake, your brain can find out a reason for you to have one, right? That's not very hard. But um, one of my favorite authors, Seth Godin talks about it as the play-by-play announcer, right? Mm. That your, your conscious brain is actually doing play-by-play after the events happen, not before. The announcer doesn't call the plays. That's, that's the coach on the field. But we all feel like our conscious brain is the coach yeah. saying like, oh, we're going to go do this. But it's not. It's the play-by-play announcer saying, this is what's happening. <laughs> and here's how you feel about it afterwards, which I think so many people mess up. And so I found that in play that when you go with the emotions when you go with the flow on what you feel like and you can get to uh, joy a lot easier than if you try and optimize it push like call the plays and this is how I'm going to do it because we don't know and we can't it's almost like this conversation itself Mike because the original structure is like all right let's we'll have a planning we'll we'll plan out what this is going to look like and then we just started to get into conversation and we just started riffing off each other and being in flow very quickly. I think just because the energy kind of exchange is just like, oh yeah, let's, let's just press record. Like it's like, there's no, there's no need to try and like keep figuring it out here because we're already in a space of enjoying the conversation. Well, this could make a difference to us. Yeah. And that's what I found is so different too, is the best episodes are not the ones that I prepare for. I don't do any pre-show interviews for my podcast and stuff on playful humans. One, I want to be with the audience. So I want to ask the questions that they would ask as they're hearing these stories, not the ones that I, I pre-prepared, but also I found those magic moments are the ones that you don't plan. It's when something spontaneous happens that makes the whole show interesting anyway. So I love doing interviews like that. And I don't know if it's just the way I was raised. I would love to hear your thought on that and how much of this is actually programmed. I was lucky. I mentioned, you know, I had a very playful childhood. I did radio. And so radio, you have a show every day at that time and your microphone is going on whether you like it or not so i'm doing it live and i might be able to plan a joke or i might not or i but regardless of what i planned the song's ending in four minutes and i gotta have something to say you know and so i got into this live performance mindset just like i can almost do things better sometimes Mm. at least i feel like that spontaneously and live then I can record it. So especially with my public speaking, I mean, you mentioned record, you were recording some video too, videos. I feel like when you do it live, you're, you have to be in the moment. You have to be present. You can't second guess it because there's no getting it back. But as soon yeah. as you hit record on a video, 
It's like, I have to be perfect. Oh, I flubbed that word. Oh, no. Should I start over or should I keep going? I don't know. Was that bad enough to start over? And you're just not in the moment. You're not in flow. You're not playing with it. And sometimes even when you try to write it, it doesn't come out as it does. Yeah. No, I, I, I can I can see yeah a lot of different instances for myself there where it's like literally yesterday is like getting caught up in trying to get it right, even though the very idea I was helping people move past in the, in the video was the idea of getting it right. So the, <laughs> yeah. the paradox of, of, of being human just keeps coming back to bite you in the ass. But it was only from like, I actually just listened to like a coaching conversation with my coach. And I was like, okay, so now I'm in the space of like being present to like, I don't want to do it this way. I want to do it Sam's way, whatever that happens to be. And then I press record because I was sort of like, all right, this is, I can let go of what all the other stuff is there. I'm, I'm now in a space of like flow, contentment and energized. And now there's no fear. Right, because it's the fear which was in was which was blocking me at that moment. It wasn't about yeah. anything about getting it right. It's just like the, this crazy evolutionary idea of fear which we have created, even when no one's watching. It was like we're still fearful anyway. But so much of the time, like it's so much more fearful to not go for it. Like the cost of not yeah. going for it is so much worse. What will people think? I'm so glad you brought that up because fear is the number one killer of fun and, and play. Right? If you are anxious, if you're worried about that, you can't enjoy. And uh, we've seen it all over society. Kids give up sports now at like age 13 because it becomes a job. They basically have so much fear of failure or not getting a scholarship, not making the team or not winning the game that it's no longer fun for them. They're not, they're not playing. And those fears creep in and, and kill it. But also uh, in my own life that there's so much fear and anxiety, uh, you know, whether it's COVID or the politics or economy or the climate change or whatever, we have enough fear of things to worry about that it's killing our fun. And that's when I, why I've gone on this mission for, for playful humans. Somebody has got to add that back in and the, uh, in the sixties and seventies, when things were, were tense, there became amazing comedians like Richard Pryor and Steve Martin. And, uh, I think of about Steve Martin specifically because he went for silly intentionally. Yeah. He was like, look, everybody's way too serious. We got like the Vietnam war going on and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's like, we need somebody to put an arrow or a balloon on their head and just be completely goofy and go the other. We're at another one of those. We need the playful humans back to, to take charge of this thing because it's that, or we have to go so crazy on the optimized tech side and things that we figure out how to terraform the earth in the next 30 years. And it's like, I don't, at this point, I don't think more technology or more um, data is going to solve our problems, but I could be wrong. Uh, and I'm we got enough people. We can have people work on that too, but I want to be on the side of, of fun and play and bringing it back to that. I could find a way to do that. Good creative idea. Yeah. I remember it was, you know, it was March, 2020. And I was, I think I got ill and I didn't know whether it was COVID or something else. And I got really down for like a, for that, that, that period. Cause I was, you know, I'm used to doing stuff. I'm used to like, you know, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And one of the, like my favorite humans, a guy called Jason Goldberg, he, uh, and he's kind of like way of looking at things is like, how can I bring 5% more joy uh, to everyone I meet? And I think and, and, yeah. and I live not, a not so serious life. And he'd created this program during COVID called, uh, Sorry, he created a program beforehand called Playful Prosperity, but he gave it away to anyone who wanted it during COVID as just, you know, like, hey, you know, people need more play in, in this time. So I got the opportunity to like to do this. And it suddenly like revolutionized the way I thought about everything. 
and I have to mm-hmm. see like, oh, I should go back to that because it's like, wait, I'm not bringing as much play to my life uh, at, at the moment. There's so many different elements to it that I get stuck in like trying to figure it all out rather than bring play. But one of the things which it brought forward was looking at how I could, even when I was coaching, I could shift, you know, someone's experience of academia just by bringing play to what, what they were doing. Because I would, I would listen to what my client was doing at the time for her PhD and I was on like stuff to do with law and IP and all sorts of things, which don't necessarily sound that interesting. But I said, imagine like you were playing with like the idea that there's a joke, like you've seen something that these other people haven't. And you're just going to like kind of reveal that through, through your writing. And that opened up something for her in since like she now got to look at what she was doing from a completely different standpoint, because it's like, before there was some bullshit rule in the way of how it has to look because we're, we're fed mm-hmm. that, oh, it needs to look this way. This is what the PhD looks like. And so then people keep programming themselves to create the same sort of product because that's what people think it looks right. like to get the that's thing. the formula. But it then makes the journey miserable. And having done that myself and experienced a lot of the misery around the way, I was like, okay, I'm really good at helping people not make the same mistakes that I did. And so it's like, all right, like this is what I could see which make a difference. And so we played with that. And then what happened was she came back the next session and she's like, oh, I wrote the thing and I sent it off. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, no, no, you, like you made a start. No, 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 I just completed it. She's just like, it just shifted her whole world just by bringing this element of play to something which before was so serious. Oh, I, I love that for so many reasons. The first thing that came to mind for me is we learn 10 times faster when we're in play than when we're trying to, to push and, and force ourselves into something. So uh, we can do it that way. I mean, if you do 100 repetitions of anything, you'll learn how to, to do it. If you sit there at the computer and bang out words long enough, you'll finish a book. Uh, but it won't be fun and it won't be your best work. But when you find that playful thing, uh, it it flows so much easier, but also when people are, uh, when you think about um, playing in a, a video game or a sports game, your body learns how to make those moves and your brain learns how to make those connections so much faster when you're engaged in it and you're just in flow and when you're not thinking about what your hands or feet are doing anymore. I, I think that's so huge. The other thing that you mentioned is uh, fear. And I, I wanted to go back to that about yeah. Um, how it, it stops people, because one of the things that I found in play is it actually builds confidence. You do fail in games, you do fail and play, but then you realize that it's survivable and it opens you up to play even more. You build confidence. So I always have to work the story into everything that I attend on, but I was fired live on stage by Billy Idol in front of thousands of people. Wow. And once that happened, I am bulletproof on stage. Whatever happens on this podcast today with you, Sam, not going to be worse than being fired by <laughs> in front of thousands of people. Like, I mean, come on, right? So it gave me so much confidence after that. It's like, oh, well, if I can survive this, then I can do anything. I'll go on any show, talk to anybody, go in front of any sized audience, and I got this. And, and uh, I'll just make the long, long story short is... Uh, I, his opening act canceled. They needed a DJ to play some music. I did it. They said, play retro and play rock music. I played a little more retro. They wanted more rock. Um, and apparently uh, he did not like my choice of songs, but the lights just went down, dish, like sound went off. And I'm standing on stage in front of thousands of people and just packed up my stuff and left. 
collect $200 in Vasco or anything. Oh. <laughs> and I, I've since like, I got to open for Casey and the Sunshine Band and things after that and had, had success with it. But that moment I love because when I tell that story to people, hopefully you can relate and go, oh yeah, when I bombed this time, like that freed me up then yeah. to do so much else that I think so many people think that's the destination or if I fail that it's over then. And it's like, no, that's a new starting line, new starting line, get to, to go again with this confidence and uh, experience that you haven't had before. That's so much more. Yeah. I think everyone can relate to that kind of experience. Not necessarily the, the intensity of having Billy Idol, like fire you on stage in front of thousands of people, <laughs> but like potentially the, the, the more monumental it is, the, um, the greater the learning opportunity um, and the ability to really be unfuckwithable in life. Right. <laughs> right. Like, like for me, like the whole reason I'm even, you know, here in front of you doing this podcast was because in 2017, I handed my, my law PhD to Oxford and I didn't get it. And I remember it was like August that oh, year wow. where I like, I, I was about to like teach some nice summer school students jurisprudence and I get this email and it's like saying, here's the result. And I'm looking for the result, looking to say, you know, where I've passed or whether I have corrections or not. And it, it never came. And then I kept scrolling down and there's like this thing, it was like called a referral. I was like, what is that? I've never heard of this before. And it was <laughs> like, you have at least, you have two more years before you can submit or before you submit. And I was like, you know, you know the, the episode in the Simpsons where uh, Bart is like, goes up and he sees the girl that he likes, and, you know, his school bully is kissing. It was like, you don't need this anymore. It's like, he pulled out the heart. So that was like that moment for me, but it's literally the, being the best thing which ever happened because I got to see how miserable I was in life and how like decided that the only way I'm going to be happy and fulfilled is if I was an academic. And, you know, now I'm still someone who's like a philosopher. That's just part of what I enjoy, but it's not what defines me in terms of what's possible in my life. And even if like Oxford never says, Sam, here's your PhD, and I'm still waiting for the, like, my supervisor to do his part by saying, Sam, submit it now. Because I've done my thing. I wrote, rewrote the whole thing. But yeah, it didn't, it gave me the opportunity to go beyond any sort of view of who I was really. And one of the things this podcast is about is like the whole idea of questioning who you are really, because we get so stuck in our understanding of who we are. We go through this conditioning and we go through this, like, even if you know about neuroplasticity, it doesn't change how you actually go about living. You know something, but it doesn't make any sort of difference in how you actually live. And I guess yeah. there'll be two questions I'd have around this for you is like, if you were to look at this question of who you are really and bring play to it, what would, what comes to mind for you? Ooh, I want to reverse this question back to you because it's one I've been thinking about for a long time and, and then yeah. I'll, I'll answer. But yeah. first of all, do you think there is an answer? Because for me, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I am somebody different than I, I was yesterday. Uh, and I'm certainly way different than I was 10 years ago, or I'll, I'll be way different than I am now, 10 years from now. And I think one of the things that, that frustrates people a lot is that they have to find their purpose, that there is like, a right answer to that, right? Yeah. And there's there's not, there's multiple right answers in, in my mind. And so I could be happy doing a lot of things. I think though, uh, and this has been my, my passion project here of Playful Humans is I think that really hits home for me. I think to answer your question, at the heart of it, I am a, a playful human being. I think I can inspire other people to have fun. I feel most like myself when I'm playing Legos with my nephew or playing uh, dolls with the nieces or tag or games with my friends or doing karaoke or, or dancing. And 
I love to be creative and, and charismatic and fun and, and go with the flow. And that is when I feel like I am myself. And then anything more specific than that, I feel like are just roles and their other tags or masks that we wear. Yeah. But I, I try to be um, happy and healthy. And I feel like I'm also wise and a, a bit of a, a nerd. But but I, I like those things uh, as, as characteristics and that when I am being a nerd, when I'm being silly and having fun, I feel the most. Yeah, I, I like that. And I like what, you know, the distinction you drawing between the, the I am playful, I'm a playful human, because that's like an empowering stand is what I hear when you share that. It's like this brings an alignment Thanks. for me in terms of what I'm up to, what, you know, who I get to touch, the people I get to, you know, just inspire by what I'm up, by what I'm doing. And then there's the same part. It's like, I'm aware that there's these other aspects, which are just masks and conditioning and all that kind of things and roles, which we play in different areas of life, because we have all sorts of different roles and how we go about it. So for me, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I think it's really dangerous to get stuck in the self-help, self-development world of trying to find your purpose, because it's like, then it's in that still modality of trying to like figure it out. Like there's an answer out there. Like if right. I just could find it, then everything would be okay. Right. Like it's a really, but what if you don't, you know, what if, what if you spend your life trying to find the answer as if there is one out there only to one day, maybe find out there's no answer. I, you know, you could, could be like, well, even if you do like, find something, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, I hate that quote. Uh, if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. Well, that's BS. Everybody still has to pay taxes. You're still going to have bad days. You're still yeah. going to stay up too late one night and then be cranky the next morning. All yeah. of that uh, BS. And there is no one answer. You might find a thing, uh, but you're not going to find the thing, you yeah. know? Uh, and that's, that's a, well, it's like, this is what's now is, I think is a better place to look from rather than trying to figure out like, who are you? Or, you know, what do I need to do? Or what's going to really fulfill me in life? It's like, what looks like it's going to create alignment with me now? Or what's going to bring, yeah. you know, more spontaneity to my life now or more, more play or more joy or whatever it is, which is going to make a difference for you. Because what you want to look from is like, what is fundamentally of importance to your life and what matters to you, whether it's making a difference to others or it's making a difference, to, you know, smaller network, your family, yourself, whatever it is. If you start to live life more in alignment with yourself, then you would have a lot less disconnection in the world. I want to add one thing to that, which is I think we only unlock other levels. So I really like the idea of gamification of life. And I think like you do have these moments where it's like the boss level, right? You have to, you have to beat this big, hairy boss. It, it might be a divorce. It might be getting fired. It might be, you know, not passing the bar. It might be whatever it is. You're like, oh, this is a boss thing. But once I get past this, I'm unlocking a whole new level. It's a whole new scenery, a whole new way of seeing things. I got a whole new skill set and bag of tricks. And all of a sudden it's getting to the next thing and you get to run for a while, but eventually you're going to have to level up again. And so I think that's what people miss when they're looking for a purpose or a, a, some sort of thing is that you're going to be on this level forever. It's like, no, this is going to be your thing for a while, but then you're going to have to challenge yourself. You're going to have to grow and evolve and get be somebody different. I, I like that way of describing gamification 
and like seeing it as like yeah you got to beat the boss level it's like you know like the games <laughs> yeah. you're playing as a as a kid where it's like i've got to get to the next level whatever that is but never i never really thought of it in terms of like the human development you got to beat something but it is it is that challenge which is in front of you right now which is your boss level or you're beating your imposter syndrome or beating past like billy idol you know like fuck you billy idol i'm <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, watch me grow like whatever it is like you could create a, you create your own game show you could create your own game around your life and you know you could see how ridiculous you create significance about things just by looking at it from a game so yeah i i really like that that idea of like how can you bring more gamification to your life and how can you look at the challenge in front of you as like playing a video game where what you have to what you're there to do is just to see like what do i need what's going to take for me to, to beat this boss right in front of me right now and sometimes it's a uh it's a puzzle and not an effort thing and and that's mm. what i think you know brings us kind of full circle to back what we were talking about before was that sometimes the answer is not i have to work harder or i have to beat this ball it's like maybe we just don't even face that ball maybe mm. we just go around the the back door and we take the warp level to the next level and we skip all that because we don't want to play that game anymore you know or or we realize that there, you know, is a secret weapon that we had along uh, the time, or we have to work together as a team, which is amazing too. You know, it's like, oh, well, maybe I don't have to beat this boss, but my, you know, partner can, or, or somebody else. And that's what's so amazing when we take this playful approach, you can start getting more creative rather than trying to force yourself down this one path that is going to get a lot of obstacles because none of us get all green lights. So what are we going to do when we, we hit a red one? Uh, or maybe we don't even need to go that direction. I, I think that's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. Yeah, the idea of like all green lights is something you like, people are like, oh, I'm you know, driving, trying to get somewhere that you, you calculate the distance and how long it's going to take you. Like, I hope I get all green lights, you know? Like, it's like, as if you approach a life that way, it's like, oh God, I got a red light, Jesus Christ. Like, you get so upset. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, like, it's just is. Like, it's just part of what it is to be alive is to experience like the red light. And it's like, yeah. oh, okay, like, now I have to have a bit of patience. I have to wait, you know, two minutes or a minute before it, before it changes. Or, But we get so resentful as if it's something which is wrong. Oh, God, got a red light. And he's trying to speed <laughs> through it before you can like... No, and like it's our find. fault that we this got is a my red journey, light. Right? It's like, I got to get yeah. through this before the next green light. How many people beat themselves up thinking that they're the problem? They got the green, the red light. You know, it's like, no, just, that's the universe. That's the way things work. You're going to get red lights. It's not your fault. Yeah. You got a red light or like, just, you know, take the few minutes to, to enjoy it. Think about where you're going next and, you know, or change the station on the radio uh, and, and keep going. Uh, was there another question? You said two questions. I, I didn't know if I derailed you or we got to the other. I think one. I, whatever it was, it doesn't matter now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, that's, that's, that's the nature of a conversation. Like, oh yeah, there was something on my mind, but it, it's gone. And it's, and it, and it's gone because it's gone. <laughs> I had a feeling we might, might've gotten too far on that one, but I wanted to check. But one thing where I can, you know, I can see like, even though we haven't planned this in the way that we might otherwise, there was one thing you did, you did touch on when we were warming up, getting related, whatever you want to call it, is you you mentioned this, we were looking at social media and we we're looking at the kind of the, the disconnection of it. And you were sharing around how the optimization, like you spent a lot of time reading self-help books and how you can create more optimization in life. And then you were looking at what would it look like to, to not rev, rev, rely on like the social media game and virality inside of like being easier to go viral off the internet than, than on it. And I feel that's a really refreshing idea and I'd love to hear more about it. Well, I think it ties into a, a lot of what we've been talking about already because 
when social media first started was I, I've kind of grown up with it. I feel like we're at least similar ages, Yeah. but I was on the radio when uh, social media blew up. So it was very easy for me to go viral because I had a hundred thousand people listening to me on the radio. So you get thousands of fans and then you create an interesting post. And I was very playful with it because that's the business that I was in. You can't take, you know, uh, whatever Jessica Simpson was doing uh, at the time or whatever to Ferris Hilton too, too seriously. So it was pretty easy for me to be playful with it. And then what happened is marketers found it and business people found it and people started trying to make money. And also Facebook, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter started trying to make money with it and people started messing it up. They started optimizing it and they started creating algorithms to filter out what you see and, and don't see. And it became less social. It became more strategic and people started overthinking it. Right. So I don't know if you have seen this, but I would work really hard sometimes, you know, hours or days on a post and writing a blog or creating a video and I put it up and just get crickets. Oh man, I put so much effort into that. I thought it was going to be cool, but I don't even know. It still could be cool because nobody even saw it, you know, just because 10 people didn't hit like doesn't mean it's not a cool video, but then my sister, and I'm always jealous of her because she has uh, three cute kids and two dogs. And so she posts a picture of her dog licking her new baby and it's hundreds of likes and shares and it's going viral thousands of views. And I worked really hard on my thing, you know, and uh, it just goes to show me that like being playful in those magic moments can't predict if people could there would be formulas for that, but then everybody would do it and it would stop working. So for me, it's kind of like the stock market. Anybody thinks that they can predict the stock market, they're wrong. It's been proven over the last hundred years. Nobody can accurately predict. They might get a lot of guesses right in a row, but that's just statistical probability. Nobody can predict the next one with certainty. And it's the same thing with social media that we can't predict it. And so what we have to do is either be playful with it or we have to quit playing the game. But yeah. thinking that you can control it or optimize it or, or grow anything, I don't think it is possible anymore. It may have been possible at one, but I don't think it is anymore. And I, I just want to add for people that think I might be a grouchy, you know, non-techno <laughs> person that maybe I am now. And I, I crossed 40 a couple of years ago, so I could just be old. But I wrote a book on LinkedIn called LinkedIn the Sandler Way that was published by LinkedIn and Sandler Training, two international companies, got over 80,000 downloads. It's been a very popular book. I embrace the idea of LinkedIn and social media if you use it for starting more interesting conversations, if you use it for actually you know, learning information, building relationships, getting insight into people and making your life better, but not if you're going to try to be a slave to it, follow their rules, provide them free content so that they can make money and then hope you get paid back. Some yeah, I think more and more, yeah, I worry less about impact in terms of the vanity metrics because so many times like I've, I've made a video and then someone's told me to my face like, oh, I really like your videos. Like, oh, it really got me thinking or, you know, I saw this for myself or like someone sees something I put out there, which is really outlandish. Like one of the things that I'm, you know, out to accomplish in my life, which is probably less inclined, you know, in tune with play, but it's just it's something I see, which is, you know, could make a difference. It's like committing to transforming what it looks like in politics from mm -hmm. a space of ridicule to a space of like authenticity and transparency where responsibility is at the core. And so I'll just start sharing about that because it's part of my natural self-expression now. And I know that I'm committed to it. 
it doesn't matter whether other people are jumping on the bandwagon yet. Some people will be like, oh my God, this guy's a fucking dreamer. Like, let's, let's, <laughs> I want to hear more about that. And other people are just like, that's too big for me. Like, I, I don't want to borrow it. And that doesn't matter. As long as you're, you're seeking out the people, not by like, I need to find you, but like, you're just calling them in by being your authentic self and enjoying it not being like i'm writing this for the strategy for the strategy of doing x then it gets really tired and i definitely can see yeah. for myself like where i get tired on social media is when there feels like any strategy behind it when i'm just like in a space yeah. of like contribution making have like i want to share this with you i'm really lit up about this podcast then it's it's brilliant but if i allow myself to get stuck in a, a metric or dopamine hit it becomes miserable very quickly I wish you could turn off all those notifications and stats. That would be a really great thing. And it would make it a lot more interesting, but that's a philosophy I've tried to have is just like here, I made this, you know, and people either get the joke or they don't. You were talking about jokes with the author, boy. I think that's the best thing about humor and jokes is like, if people don't get the joke, it doesn't mean that it's not funny. Uh, you know, if some people get it, some of my favorite jokes when I was on the radio or, or uh, on stage is when like, two people are crying, laughing in the back of the room and nobody else got it. That's my favorite moment because that means that they, they watched, you know, the same, you know, 80s show that I watched and they got the reference and nobody else did, but I made those people so in incredibly happy. And I think social media has to kind of be that way these days, but it, it's so hard and understand. And it pays off. I, I equate it to like a slot machine. It pays off just enough to keep you addicted to it, but you're going to lose. So people think that they're like, oh, well, I saw this person that made a million dollars and got a million fans and they became famous on TikTok. Yeah. And somebody won the Powerball uh, or lottery <laughs> too, you know, and became a, a, a billionaire, but that's not going to happen for you. And they're going to give you just enough rewards to keep you playing that game instead of um, doing what, what matters. And then you mentioned the offline stuff earlier. I did want to hit that one, one time real quick here, because I think what people also miss is that we can still connect with people in real life. And there are groups of people, even now after the pandemic, getting together and you can find people who like what you like, and you can find meetups and you can connect with humans offline. And, um, you can have great conversations with people. And that to me are the, is what matters. And it's easier now. It's easier because there's less noise. It's like sending a direct mail piece. If something shows up in your mailbox, you're going to see it because there's only 10 things in there. If somebody buys a Facebook ad, you're not going to notice. You're going to scroll right past it because there's a million also of them out there. And I think people who are trying to grow a business, who are trying to get sales or market their business, have an easier time offline now than they do online. Uh, I don't think people have realized that. It's still blue ocean out there if you can go out and shake hands and yeah i definitely see that for myself like i think i was sharing before like what created much more ease and peace of mind for me around this course on leadership i'm i'm launching was just by talking to the people who already know like and trust me and then they can just share with other people who they like look this guy's this is what he did for me or this is who i know him to be in the world take a look it's it's so much easier and it's so much more genuine like i literally would send a message to these, to these friends and be like, I'm contacting you because this is what I'm up to. And I want to share it with you. And I want to see whether or not, either because I know this is a fit for you and I want to see whether this, you're, you're interested or I want to see who you know would be, this would be a fit for. And I just think really straight up, like no strategy, no like, you know, when you call someone up and they're waiting, like, why are they calling out the blue? Like that kind of thing. It's like, no, I'm just going to be straight up with you. And it just, we still catch up. We get related because they're my friends. But 
there is no like, when do I have that moment to tell them like this? It's just, no, you just have an organic conversation because you've already set up the parameters of what this is about. And then you just get to be with each other and enjoy that community and that connection. And I think what people miss is that humans were able to do business and create a culture and sustain each other, create uh, profitable, but even like abundant societies with very few amount of people. You only need like 150 or so to have a, a very vibrant community. But we've lost sight of all that fact because of all the marketing and the messages that we have. Of, you have to go global and have this global reach and, and get millions of followers. Well, you maybe, uh, but maybe not. Maybe you just need a thousand people that'll give you a hundred dollars uh, a year. You know, that's, that's a small amount of money. And if you find that many or a hundred people, it'll give you a thousand dollars and you can make a nice income and, and uh, enjoy your life from those people. And I, it's, it's so crazy that I, I do think that you have a greater chance of finding those people in your local neighborhood where you meet them and, and having a bigger impact in the smaller pond than you do shouting another voice. Yeah. If you play the same game as everyone else, then you're only going to get the same results as most people. <laughs> I think Thomas Hobbes once said, like, if I had read as much as everyone else, I don't even know as much as everyone else. Yeah, I think the uh, the other thing to add to it is the authentic voice. We've talked about it a lot already, but also when you approach social media or real life with whatever you're passionate about, what gets you geeked up and stuff, you'll find the other nerds in whatever your thing is, uh, right? So if that's computers and data and it's actual, uh, you know, nerd and geekery, great. If that's, um, you know, the Renaissance fairs and, and, and play acting or something, great. I love game shows uh, and I've been hosting game shows and playing with people that way. And that's super fun for me. And I know a lot of people that love watching game shows, playing game shows. They, they love trivia nights and board games. All that is awesome. You know, find the people that like your crazy board game and go hang out with them. But it's so hard to ignore everybody else in that. But I think once you figure out a way to do, you can really have a lot of fun and you have such powerful connections that it changes from a like to an actual friendship. And Yeah, the, the kind of things which actually really make a difference in life. <laughs> and make <laughs> you feel good. Yeah. yeah, like not just for a moment, but for, you know, that have a lasting impact. I think you were talking about 12-year-old Mike uh, when, mm-hmm. when we were starting off about, I think it's Art Bell, is that right? The episode, yeah. Comedy Central founder? So you were saying like, what would, what would a 12 year old Mike think about like the number of downloads? You- yeah. And I think about that a lot because I am lucky to had some success and do some cool things. And so I always have kind of those pinch me moments that I, I like to be grateful for where I've, I've gotten, whether it was on stage with Billy Idol or, or Frankie Valley or um, interviewing Art Bell for my podcast, the founder of Comedy Central, like a 12 year old Mike watching Comedy Central in the eighties would be like, you're going to talk to the guy that created this whole thing. That's amazing. Right. And a hundred people would listen to it. I mean, think about what your 12 year old self would think about a hundred people in an auditorium watching me interview, uh, you know, Art, Art Bell or Justin Guarini from American Idol or Bozo the Clown uh, from the United States. I don't know if in the UK you guys know who was, but uh, he'd be our famous, most famous clown. But any of those types of interviews would be like, a 12 year old Mike would think this is pretty freaking awesome. Right. Yeah. But sometimes as an adult at 42, uh, 30 years later, I go, Oh, that only got a hundred downloads or this one. I can't believe this one didn't get likes or how do I get this? Or, uh, sometimes also, and this is going to take a little tangent here, but sometimes I think we also mistake stuff when it's too easy, that it's mm. not valuable. 
Yeah. And so because of those interviews, I've had more people ask like, how did you meet those people for that podcast? And like, why would they be on a show that only has a hundred people? Well, they're people like I am too. And I just got introduced through a friend. So that was all offline networking. Yeah. I interviewed somebody else that knew Justin Guarini and I interviewed somebody else that uh, had Art Bell on their show and they introduced me because they, they liked both of us, thought it would be a good fit. And so it was the offline real world stuff, but also just me being authentic and going with who I am and easy and fun that led me to those people. Not, I wasn't pressing hard. I wasn't filling out interview requests and trying to get great PR and optimize this or because I thought they'd have good reviews. Like I was going with the flow and interviewing people that I thought would be fun. And I asked them who the most fun person they were knew was, and they kept introducing to more cool people and more fun show, you know? And that's yeah. the way I think it should be. It should be easy. Yeah. And it, and You'd stop doing it. I think with a lot of things, if it didn't have the, some element of ease, because it would just become a chore. Well, sometimes I think we feel like we have to work hard at stuff. Uh, we yeah. feel like we have to push and that if we're not trying or if it's not difficult, it's not valuable. And I found that to not be so true that some of the stuff that I do that people pay me the most amount of money for like public speaking, I love it's super easy for me. And people are like, how do you get on stage and just, you know, talk with no notes for an hour in front of a thousand people? That to me is the best. I would do it for free. Uh, the fact that people pay me for it is is a bonus. But um, other people don't have that skill set. That does terrify them. They yeah. they don't have messages to share. They don't have that skill set. And so I think that's what messes us up sometimes. We think what's playful and fun for us isn't valuable because it's so easy and fun, rather than the other way around. That's the part that you just need to find more people to get that joke. Yeah, what I, what I hear there is it's kind of like there's not enough focus on what's your zone of genius and just being like, yeah. and really honing in on that because, you know, that's really the 80 20 rule. Like your zone of genius is where mm -hmm. you're going to produce most of your results. And it's where, you know, you have, and in the least amount of time. Like often for me, I yeah. call it effortless action. It's like you're doing something else. And then suddenly for me, it like kickstarts an idea. Like I, when I started this podcast, I used to like, you know, get in the habit of listening to a podcast called Caffeine for the Sun. It was really like, it just, it spoke to me. It would help me run further because it was so like motivating me while I was listening. And then sometimes I just, I'd stop. I'd like get my audio transcript uh, thing out, like Otter. And I'd be like, just, I just start speaking into that. And then I'd get home and I'm like, all right, I'm so G'd up. Like for the, like I actually once, I still was panting when I'm recording because I was, I, I'm so desperate to share what I had seen with, with you know, with the audience. I, you know, and now I take a bit of a break, but it was just that idea that you can be doing something completely at like completely different to what is the task that you have at hand or in the future. And then it gives you this energy and flow to just be like, Oh, now I see this now, now I can actually go and do that. Now I just, and I do it in a fraction of the time. Yeah. And it's amazing that the opposite is also true, but I don't think people choose or they, maybe they don't feel like they have the right to choose, but the opposite for me is also true that like filling out spreadsheets and Microsoft Excel would be the death of me. Like I, it is painful for me to enter data into a spreadsheet. And so like, I will pay somebody if that's your thing and you love doing that and balancing the numbers and accounting and making sure, you know, that the checkbook balances to the penny more power to you. I will pay you thousands of dollars to do that for me so that I don't have to. And I will go on stage and do all of your publics for you and we can trade. And, and that's what I think is so beautiful about 
human nature and the way that we do these things. Like somebody does like it. it. It exists on this planet because somebody wanted to create it and they thought it was cool and was going to uh, solve a problem. So that's great. That can be their thing, but it, but it's not mine. And I don't have to be good at everything all of the time or, or just because it exists doesn't mean I have to use that tool uh, and stuff. I get to how I want to spend my, my days. So now I have, I can see two questions. One is going to be like, what is the future of playful humans for right now? Like in your mind, like not like I, this is the purpose of playful humans. Like what's the future of playful humans right now? And what is like the number one thing that you think people could do who are listening to bring more play to their lives? Great question. Uh, I'll answer the first one, which is I've tried really hard. The hardest thing that I'm doing with playful humans right now is not forcing it to, and, yeah. and trying to let it evolve. So I have developed a community there where I'm trying to attract other playful humans and cool people. And I can tell you, you know, you're an awesome guy that I would love to, to keep in touch with there and kind of take it again out of social media and create a platform where people can connect in, in real life. I think that's one option. Other than that, I'm going to let it be what it is. I, I like doing it. Um, I have been able to make enough money to keep it going, which is all that I really wanted to do. Yeah. And so if it becomes larger and it replaces my, my full-time job uh, and the sales training that I do great. If not, that's okay too, because I'm having fun doing it. So I'm really trying hard not to look too much past that, but I do think it's a, a mission and something that I want to pursue for, for a while. So all of the, what you said about the vision and what I'm trying to do with it, I think still exists. But if it's a small thing that my family enjoys watching me do, great. And there's 20, 100 people uh, watching it. And my mom likes and shares it on Facebook like she did this morning. <laughs> that's that's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what it'll be. But if it gets bigger, that's fine too. I don't see it ever becoming like a billion dollar startup. Like I don't want to put that much effort. Yeah. And to things, if somebody else wants to license it and run that race or something, yeah, whatever. But I think like, those are just kind of boundaries for me that like, yeah. I want to go as long as it's fun. Cause that's what totally that makes so much sense. Like if it goes against the ethos of what it's about, then it would no longer be playful humans. Yeah. And, and the second part of that is uh, I want people to get involved. So I want people to, to check out the podcast, hear these messages, and I want to help people individually and, and connect with them. So I all, I'm also trying really hard with anybody in the audience that gets the joke that they want to have fun and, and have more fun. I think they already know how. Uh, studies have shown that kids in uh, before middle school, again, before 12 years old, have genius levels of creativity. I mean, if you talk to any five-year-old, they have no problem being creative, right? Uh, they're going to come up with crazy off-the-wall inventive ideas and they can imagine, but we all lose it along the way. Once we start hitting puberty and caring what other people think and, and trying to get paid for things that we lose it. So I think, you know, already what you used to love doing or what you love doing, and you've just chosen not to, or you don't feel like it's enough, but there are lots of ways. I have a quiz on the website, playfulhumans.com slash quiz where you can figure out your playful personality, whether you like to be an athlete and move, or you like to solve puzzles and do board games, or you like to create art or, or music. And there's about 10 different things that you could do. And there's some suggestions there, but I really think, you know, I, I think you just need to go and block out some time to reconnect. I started doing Lego uh, a couple of years ago and it's been so much fun. I just finished my 
largest piece ever. It's 10,000 uh, pieces of a art mosaic wow. for my wall. So I'll have a new backdrop uh, here in a couple of weeks nice. once I get it hung. But uh, I have all kinds of Star Wars Lego over here and that's fun. And I get to play with my nieces and nephews with it. And I've bought a whole bunch of bulk pieces and kind of nerded out on that. And uh, it's been been super fun. But I also love to play sports and ride a bike and be creative or sing and dance and all kinds of stuff. So I don't think there's one. Yeah, look, it resonates so much. And I think one thing I've seen from this conversation is just it's brought me back to like, yeah, I can bring more play into my life. Like I can, look, I can look now, like where, where am I not allowing play in and where can I, where can I bring it forth? And I, I like that you have the quiz on, on your, your website for people to kind of identify because it's easily like, oh, but it's too hard to figure it out. You know, like that's like, you know, you yeah. need a bit of, sometimes you need a bit of guidance to get back into a space of play because it's become so uh, far out of like the way we live that we just, we need someone to like, okay, this is, here are some options here. Let's put some stuff on the table and see if anything. Can resonates. you confirm something for me though? I have a question for you. I want to yeah. know if it's just me. So when I'm sitting around, like I was, uh, uh, I went to the eye doctor last week. I had a weird in, infection in my mm. eye and there was this kid that was playing with uh, glasses and stuff. And he really loved the other glasses. And they were like $50 more than the one that the insurance covered for this family that was sitting there. Yeah. And I had 50 bucks uh, cash from a, a tip game show that I did. And I just said to like, get the fun glasses. Mm. That for me was super fun. Yeah. And watching a kid play and like giving back to somebody like that, or I see moments like um, our boss was late to a, a meeting. And I don't even know if I should say this, or not, but I'm going to do it anyway, because this is what I'm talking about, is you see this moment where we were all waiting for the boss to start this meeting. And I, I told everybody, I was like, look, I don't know about you guys, but if somebody's late to a Zoom, I just assume they're pooping. Uh, that's <laughs> and so everybody cracked up laughing. And now when he came in, we we're all like, hey, Dave, uh, running late. And, and everybody's <laughs> laughing uh, and stuff. And it was just a playful moment. But I get these moments. I get these moments of inspiration where it's like, I should do this. You know, like it would be really funny if I did this or I should jump out of the closet and scare my wife or I should, you know, wear a funny hat on this next Zoom call and see if anybody says anything. And I just have these creative moments. I feel like everybody has them. We just have learned to like mute them and, and turn them off. Yeah, do you? I, I for sure. Um, for me, like at the moment, I find myself more and more looking, where can I bring that forth? Like we, my partner, like we got back from, you know, holiday in Greece and we were in quarantine for 10 days and it was the, the only heat wave of the UK summer. And so like one of the things we did and neither of us sing well, we just, we did a lot of karaoke. We like, you know, like filming it, dancing, you know, ridiculously. And there's this one uh, game show in Australia. I don't know if it still exists, but it was from a, a game show called Spicks and Specs. And what they would do is the, you know, the, the people who are on the panel would have to sing uh, songs based on any book that be given. So they might be given the atomic, atomic physics of carrots. And then they have to sing a tune, which they've been given based on what it says there. And so, you know, I was like, let's play Spicks and Specs. And it's, it's like, you know, she pulls out the book. What is it? Vagina by Naomi Klein. So I'm singing <laughs> like the Lion King <laughs> to this very um, graphic uh, book of, around the, the female anatomy. And it was, it was brilliant. You know, unfortunately it's it wasn't a film, yeah. but it was just like, it was so, you know, it filled us with so much laughter, joy, and just ease because it's just, we can be so ridiculous 
And that's the yeah. stuff which no one gets to see, but it's just, it's what makes life really fulfilling is just there's some great tips around creativity that that like combinations and stuff and and starting to think about divergent thinking of rather than getting one right answer how many possible answers um infinite games instead of finite games is some great stuff for look into you know if you're playing a finite game to win that's different than an improv game where you're playing to the scene going or um to you know keep life going or your job going or your business going. uh life is an infinite game and there's so much more creativity and fun to be had in those situations than if you're looking for right answers the next step the the certain um thing to do that those don't uh, exist and then i don't know i i like to end my podcasts with a game sam but i don't okay. want to force you to play no, no, with, no, let's, let's i felt i felt a calling there if yeah we, yeah let's, if let's, we let's do it uh do you like family feud I don't know if I is that the one which uh, Steve, someone or other is like, yeah, Steve Harvey. Steve yeah, Harvey. We, yeah. We surveyed a uh, hundred people and the top four answers go on the board. If you can guess the top four answer, you win. I have three questions for you here. Okay. Uh, here's a good fun one to start. We surveyed 100 people, asked them during a power failure, name something you can still turn on. Your power failure. I would have thought my phone. Oh, phone is on there. There you go. That is uh, the number two answer. Flashlight was the number one answer. Ah, and yes. uh, and spouse number four. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. that that's you know thinking outside the box, but not really. I guess everyone's mind. <laughs> I'm gonna skip that one and just let the audience get that pun. Uh, name something cats and men have in common. Uh, they both like dogs. No, fuck, that's not gonna be true. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you another try. What are cats, like and, cats and, and men both have in common? My mind is a blank. You're gonna have. You're gonna have to. Oh well, because I don't like cats. Something. It probably doesn't help that I'm not a big fan of cats. Uh, <laughs> I was allergic to, but uh, then I got married and my wife had two cats, so now I have uh, two. Um, number one, they love sleeping, uh, being lazy. Uh, they're sneaky. They are hairy. Uh, they're finicky, stubborn, or I like the last answer. They like petting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Last one. Uh, name a d device some people just can't figure out how to work. I would say like anything which is technological. Uh, all of the top answers are technological, <laughs> technological. Yes. So you win. Number one answer on that one was a VCR, DVD player, computer, or cell phone. And if they're still trying to figure out how to use the VCR, then it may be a problem. <laughs> still got those flashing zeros on the VCR. <laughs> you got a problem. Yeah. Sure. My, awesome. It, well, thank you for playing. That was super yeah. fun. And, um, you know, I want to make sure... I think you mentioned the website already, but is it anywhere else or, you know, you want to tell people again, like where they can find you. So, you know, it's really super clear. Yeah. All the stuff, anywhere you're listening to this podcast, you can check out the playful humans podcast. I interview people who play for a living. We mentioned some of them uh, earlier, like, uh, but jugglers, magicians, uh, actors, voice actor, people that do Lego, Lego masters and uh, comedians, all kinds of people that I've been able to have on the, the podcast so far, but the website's playfulhumans.com where I host uh, game shows and corporate team building and stuff there as well and have the, the community to check out. But pretty much anywhere at this point, you can Google Playful Humans and, and find us wherever you like to connect. Awesome. And it's been, a, it's been a real pleasure having this conversation with you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad we got to go a little bit deep because sometimes we I ha we have to do the surface level version. Of I don't do surface level. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Surfaces are contaminated these anyway. I'm glad we went deep. Absolutely. So I'm always looking at ways I can create more community. And this podcast is no exception. And I really want to hear more from all of you. 
Now, over the years, I've been really touched by some of the feedback that I've gotten. And one from a listener called Selena really blew me away. This is what she said. I've listened to a few more episodes. To me, the content is equivalent to Jay Shetty or a numerous other renowned self-help leaders. I've definitely been fixated on being right. And I feel a sense of empowerment with being okay with being wrong. The podcast is really great. So Selena, what I want to do for you is to offer you a free coaching session just for being someone who made a difference to me and for creating an opportunity for me to step into a higher game. You know, Jay Shetty is someone who's renowned for his podcast. And I've never contemplated for a moment having something which would make that level of impact. But for you to see that, that's now the level which I'm looking to rise to. And as a thank you, this is my gift to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Going forward, I really want to reward those who help grow this community. And so if you want to be in the running for every coaching session with me, then all you have to do is either share your biggest takeaways and tag at the philosophical coach on social media or review the podcast on thishumanlife.com and listen each week in case your feedback is chosen. Finally, for those of you who want to go from the passenger seat in life to the owner of your life, I'm launching Creating Powerful Leaders just for you. To learn more, go to bit.ly slash creatingpowerfulleaders. And the links for all of this are in the show notes.